0: When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com app.
1: Welcome to tonight's special coverage. I'm Rachel Maddow here at the MSNBC Mothership with my colleagues Joy Reid and Lawrence O'Donnell and Jen Saki and Ari Melber. Great to have you all here. Our friends Chris Hayes and Alex Wagner and Stephanie Rule are all going to be joining us later. It's going to be fun. Um, we're less than a week out from the Republican presidential caucuses in Iowa. The last Iowa Republican debate is underway tonight with... Oddly, a sort of random selection of two of the remaining five Republican presidential candidates taking part in that debate. Um, If you can right now name all five remaining Republican presidential candidates off the top of your head without looking anything up. Congratulations. And also, you need to get out more. But two of them are debating tonight, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Also tonight, two miles away from that final Iowa debate, Fox News conducted a live town hall with the front running Republican candidate, who, of course, has refused to participate in any debates at all this year, but who has been very busy appearing in courtrooms in the many, many, many cases in which he is currently a criminal or civil defendant. The biggest news of all tonight, both in Iowa and in the race at large, is that the Republican field shrunk tonight from six candidates to five with the surprising but not shocking news that Chris Christie has dropped out of the race. Governor Christie is the only Republican candidate who has been running his presidential campaign directly and explicitly against the frontrunner, against Donald Trump. But Governor Christie is now out. His farewell speech tonight in New Hampshire was really something. It was worth hearing, uh, both for the way he talked about the candidates still in the race and also for the way he described his own decision to get out.
2: I made a political decision eight years ago when I dropped out of the race in 2016. I looked at the polls and I decided that Donald Trump was going to be the nominee and that since I'd known him for 15 years that I could make him a better candidate and if he won maybe a better president. I knew his flaws, but I also knew he was going to win the nomination. So I decided that I would get behind him and support him. I let the ambition get ahead and in control of the decision making. And after I figured that out, I promised myself and I promised my wife that I would never ever do that again. It's clear to me tonight that there isn't a path for me to win the nomination which is why I'm suspending my campaign tonight for President of the United States. I wanna promise you this, I am gonna make sure that in no way do I enable Donald Trump to ever be President of the United States again. And that's more important than my own personal
3: (laughs) ambition.
1: Chris Christie getting out of the race for president tonight. He was bluntly critical of Republican frontrunner Donald Trump in this final campaign speech. But he also seemed to tap a particularly deep well of disdain for the other Republican candidates who he says are not standing up to Trump at all.
2: If Donald Trump becomes the nominee of this party. The moment that it happened. Was when. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott and Mike Pence and Doug Burgum and Vivek Ramaswamy stood on that stage in Milwaukee in August. And when we were asked, would you support someone who is a convicted felon to be president of the United States, they raised their hands. Give Ron credit, he had to look at everybody else first. see if he wanted to raise his hand but then he raised his hand they raised their hands and I did not and will not and I cannot countenance that behavior I want you to imagine for a second that Jefferson and Hamilton and Adams and Washington and Franklin were sitting here tonight Do you think they could imagine that the country they risked their lives to create would actually be having a conversation about whether a convicted criminal should be president of the United States? I can't tell you how many people in New Hampshire have asked me, why isn't there a law against that? The answer is because nobody ever thought that someone would have the audacity to run for president as a criminal And they never thought that any American electorate would actually support it. It's not their fault that they didn't put it in the Constitution, along with 35 years old and a natural-born American citizen. They didn't think, let's throw in here, and not a criminal. They thought maybe we'd get that part. We're going to show them now whether we do or we don't. They thought
1: maybe we would get that part. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie ending his presidential campaign in New Hampshire tonight. We're going to be talking with our numbers guru, Steve Kornacki, tonight about what may shift in the polling and the prospects for the other candidates now that Christie is getting out. We're also going to speak with a very important figure in President Joe Biden's orbit, veteran Congressman Jim Clyburn, Mr. South Carolina about what this means for the president's re-election effort and the state of his campaign. But even as we bid adieu, 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 Tonight, to Governor Chris Christie, Um, two Republican candidates who are still in the race are debating in Des Moines. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are the only two candidates not named Trump left in the Republican race who also met the polling threshold for tonight's debate. Uh, The polling threshold said that you needed to have at least 10 percent in three national or Iowa polls. That brings it down to just Haley and DeSantis at this point if Chris Christie was hoping that the remaining two candidates might train their fire on Donald Trump tonight instead of on each other, let's just say that the way things have gone tonight, he presumably will be disappointed.
4: Rather than have him go and tell you all these lies, you can go to DeSantisLies.com and look at all of those. There's at least two dozen lies that he's told about me and you can see where fact checkers say exactly what's going to happen and exactly why it's wrong. So it will cover the fact that he's only mad about the donors because the donors used to be with him but they're no longer with him now and that's because he's upset about the fact that his... His campaign is exploding. You're going to see the fact that he has switched his um, policies multiple times, and we'll call that out tonight. But every time he lies, Drake University, don't turn this into a drinking game, because you will be overserved by the end of the night.
5: <laughs> well, I think this DeSantis. is interesting, because uh, you can actually go to rondesantis.com, because Nikki Haley has this tactic. If you uh, hold her accountable to her record, first she'll say, I never said that. Well, one good rule of thumb, if she says she's never said something, that definitely means she's said it. And then she'll say, you're lying, you're lying. That means not only did she say it, but she's on videotape saying it.
1: Doesn't it just swell your heart with patriotism? <laughs> anyway, that, that's how that is, is going. Uh, but although Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are polling well enough uh, to make tonight's last Iowa debate, uh, they are both polling more than 30 points behind the frontrunner Donald Trump in Iowa. Uh, Trump, of course, is refusing to debate at all this year. Tonight is no exception to that. He has just wrapped up his own sort of competing event also in Des Moines, a town hall on the Fox News channel. This, this town hall thing tonight in Des Moines was a bit of an aberration for the Republican frontrunner. Just a quick trip to Iowa for him, even though the caucuses are only five days away. He has basically not been campaigning in Iowa. Instead, he has opted to spend his time, including this week, attending hearings in various legal cases that he he's embroiled in he has been attending those proceedings even though he legally does not have to while mostly ignoring Iowa in the week before the Iowa caucuses it's a weird year it's a weird time but that's where we are as the 2024 contest gets underway the first american presidential election in which the frontrunner for one party's nomination is facing multiple criminal indictments in the actual literal meaning of the word that's unprecedented and and of course the the stakes could not be higher but here we go. <laughs> Let me, can I just say, in terms of the, the Haley and DeSantis debate mm-hmm. first, we have a lot to talk about, but I was, uh, surprised, Joy, um, to see them come out immediately, mm-hmm. horns locked immediately, kill, 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 yeah. unrelentingly. There's obviously a lot of personal antipathy between the two of them. There's yes. no, like, Um, mutual respect, you're the loyal opposition kind of thing. Like, they clearly hate each other. And from the (laughs) very first syllable, we're just out to destroy each other. And
6: neither of them laying a glove on Mm -hmm. Trump at all. Mm. Yeah. You know, I I have to say the note that I took um, on the debate and on watching them battle each other, as you said, and not Donald Trump, is it felt like this debate was taking place on a different planet Mm. from the planet we live on. Mm. Because the planet we live on is the one in which the attorney for the former president of the United States said that he had the legal authority to kill a man using SEAL team 6 like to to hit to, to order a, a hit a, a political whoever a political rival. opponent right yes. to kill a political rival yes. like to me that is such a kind of it it's such a show stopping stop the universe we need to talk about this moment mm. i was shocked that that was not the first question out of the to, to be honest that the first question was why should uh, Iowa voters choose you rather than your <laughs> opponent, which got them fighting each other? But that is such an existential threat to our democracy that it is shocking to me that it didn't come up yeah. and that neither of them brought it up. I mean, Chris Christie brought it up on his own. And it, because remember, Mark Esper said Donald Trump did tell him to shoot people. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if this is theoretical for Trump. Like, for the guy they're ostensibly running against, he did tell his defense secretary, why can't you shoot those protesters? Yeah. So that's not something for him that's theoretical. But it just didn't exist in this debate. So everything <clears throat> they talked about felt so irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It felt so small. It felt like they were just nitpicking at each other, and none of it seemed important mm-hmm. at the th- all. The
1: criticism, the substantive criticism that they levied at Trump was that he added to the deficit yeah. and <laughs> they didn't build the wall. Over yeah. and over that, again. And that's yeah. the crisis. Yes, yes, yes that's that, it. The wall's not finished. And
7: the gas tax. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think today's biggest news, as you started off the show saying, is about Governor Christie dropping out of the race and his presence at this debate or his lack of presence, I should say, his absence was very noticeable. I mean, he is the person who would have, in the first hour of that debate, we all just watched, stood up, raised his hand politely, maybe, maybe not, and said, what are we doing here? Right. I mean, we just heard the former defense secretary say the former president told me he would shoot people in the street. And that was absent. And instead, you know, I've done a lot of campaigns. This reminded me of kind of like a Senate or gubernatorial debate a little bit where they each had the opposition research book when you have on a campaign where you have every vote and every detail of your opponent. And they're just spitting it out, Nikki Haley, a little bit more gracefully than Ron DeSantis at each other. And I was also thinking, and Joy and I talked about this a little bit if you're at home, you still are trying to get votes from these debates, right? And if right. you're at home and you're watching, you're thinking, what What are they talking about?
1: Yeah. What, see, Why should I vote either of these two? Am losers? I going to go to the caucus? <laughs> it's going to be in minus 10. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Well, I guess I'll go to <laughs> DeSantis lies. <laughs> dot whatever. Exactly. And that'll be how I decide whether or not I'm going to. Yeah, you know, one of the pieces of advice
8: uh, you never had to say out loud to candidates until, I guess, now is when you're out there. Do try to be likable. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that, that isn't even a factor now in Republican campaigning for the presidency. And maybe they're taking that from Trump. Right. Who, by all normal uh, human uh, observations, is the most unlikable person who's ever asked for a vote. Right. And so and he got the votes of Republicans. And so maybe they think uh, this audience wants to see nasty. I'm
9: here to do nasty. Yeah, I mean, on the politics, they have to convince people through this debate in the little time they have left that there is an alternative to Trump that mm-hmm. they could unify behind. And you just showed Rachel Chris Christie speaking to that, and there can only be one. But instead of offering an alternative to Trump, they were offering different websites, mm-hmm. uh, RonDeSantis.com, <laughs> DeSantis Lies, and that kind of kind of piffling small ball. Mm-hmm. In watching the Trump town hall night, because we sort of split up, if I can speak yeah, about please. the reporting <laughs> assignments, we split up what we were watching.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I now <laughs>
7: Rachel told me to watch that.
1: <laughs> it was all
7: short straws.
9: Watching that, I have bad news and good news, but also more bad news. Okay. <laughs> um, the bad news is, as Joy said, uh, we are seeing the unvarnished, under oath, in court reality of how you build towards an autocratic regime and whatever you thought the first term was. It is measurably, on evidence, looking worse if there's a second Trump term, and we saw that in the in the courtroom yesterday. The slice of good news from the perspective of PR or lies would be, even Donald Trump didn't want to stand by what his lawyer said mm-hmm. uh, today towards the Fox audience, and so I just you know wrote it down. It was er- pretty early on, it came up, and Donald Trump claims tonight on Fox that his position is political violence is unacceptable. And that's not true mm-hmm. to him, uh, not true at the insurrection, not true at the lies that fed it, not true at the lies after it, uh, which, of course, serve to protect and care for and possibly he muses about pardoning mm-hmm. seditionists who use political violence and terror in the worst way. Um, so the sliver of good news is he still feels the need to lie about that towards the Republican electorate on Fox, which I thought was just politically interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the further bad news is neither in that forum nor in the debate, as both of you just alluded to, did we see any meaningful opposition or rebuke to this. And there is no legal or, dare I say, and I use this word often, patriotic difference between whether a foreign terrorist or a domestic terrorist tries to overthrow our government or assassinate the vice president or anyone else. Um, and yet... What you would expect to hear from them about foreign terrorists, you didn't hear from the enemy within.
1: Mm. Uh, Lawrence, in terms of Christie getting out tonight, I feel like it's it's he, he gave a good final speech as he was leaving. Um, you know, we know the, the terms in which he campaigned and the terms in which he debated. He was in all of the debates before tonight. But he wasn't making a difference in the numbers. He wasn't making a difference in the polling. He didn't pose a threat to anybody in any state. What do you think the impact will be of him, of him? Leaving, given the fact that he really was taking on Trump in a different way that the other candidates were. Well,
8: every impact is marginal uh, in the Republican campaign uh, against the inevitable Trump nomination, uh, but it's going to be you know a marginal difference in November. And so, what I was watching tonight, I've watched you know Chris Christie's entire political career. I've never seen a Chris Christie speech that I liked. I'd never seen a Chris Christie speech that I respected that had anything in it that I admired until tonight. Really? When it was virtually the entirety of it that was good and not just good, but exactly what Republican leaning voters need to hear. Forget about Trump voters. They're gone. They are lost to a cult. They won't be back until there's no Trump on the ballot. He is speaking to voters who are not sure about Biden. They're they're independent. They normally vote Republican, but they really don't want to vote for Trump. He can hold on to them. He is not voting for Donald Trump in November. He may never say that he's voting for Joe Biden and he might not vote for Joe Biden in New Jersey. He might just write in somebody else. That's fine that will be very, very helpful because every Republican who doesn't vote for Donald Trump holds Donald Trump down from victory. And he has a way of speaking to Republicans that no Democrat can do, that Joe Biden will never be able to do, that Barack Obama won't be able to do. There won't be any surrogate on the Democratic side who can speak to the Republicans the way Chris Christie did tonight, and he used the most forceful language that I've I've ever heard in this space. It's even more forceful and effective than what Joe Biden has been saying in his first two speeches.
6: And it
1: hasn't been enough to get Republicans to vote for him in large numbers, but it could you're saying you change to the de- dynamics he, of how
8: Republicans vote. he depresses anyone who's holding that Trump ballot in their hand. He really depresses them. Mm-hmm. He brings up people like George Washington. How dare you? How dare you bring up George Washington and the figures they're supposed to admire when I'm trying to vote for this horrible person, you know, who, uh, who believes uh, that he is allowed to assassinate as many people, not just a man, mm-hmm. but as many senators as it takes To make sure he's not convicted in the Senate on impeachment, he's allowed to kill that many senators. That's what his lawyer said in court. Uh, and, and that's what Christie brought up in a way that only he can.
6: And by the way, you know, I, I agree with you. Chris Christie, there was a little bit of self-reflection in the way that mm-hmm. he spoke to. And we talked about this mm-hmm. earlier, Jen, that you could see there's a little guilt because he said, I've known this guy longer than anybody else. I know him, know him. And I supported him and I thought I could make him a better president. But he said, and I thought this was an important line. If you think for one second that Donald Trump is going to do anything for you rather than for himself, that he cares about you and he speaks in such a plain spoken, regular guy way that that really Joe Biden kind of does, but not like that. Mm -hmm. And he sounds like a regular Republican. And he is standing in for people like Liz Cheney, who they see as an elite, for people like Adam Kinzinger, who they've thrown away. It's harder to throw him away. He Mm -hmm. is the regular guy that, like, closed the bridge. You know, there's one
8: thing he said in there that was so important to me personally, because he he knows Donald Trump. He knew Donald Trump. He knew what Donald Trump was going to be as president. And he still supported him to be mm-hmm. president. So I retain a certain strong feeling about that, that I don't let go of easily. But he did something. He said at least one line about why he did that. And it was confessional. And he said it was because of ambition. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't have that line in there, my respect for this would would i'd cut it significantly (laughs) but it would still be extremely effective communication to republicans but he actually communicated to me what that first decision was about when he knew he was supporting someone who was then unfit to be president
1: We've got much more of our special coverage ahead tonight. Uh, And I should mention, we're going to be speaking with Steve Kornacki about this dynamic that we're talking about right here, but putting some numbers on it. With Chris Christie leaving the race, what does that mean in terms of the prospects of the other candidates and indeed the overall tack of this race? That's ahead. Plus, co-chair of the Biden campaign, Congressman James Clyburn, is going to be joining us live. We've got a lot to get to tonight. Stay with us.
2: Please understand this. I have known him well for 22 years. More than anybody else in this race has known him, and I can promise you this. If you put him back behind the desk in the Oval Office and a choice comes and a decision is needed to be made as to whether he puts himself first or he puts you first, how much more evidence do you need? But he will pick himself.
0: Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC, understand more.
2: Donald Trump, hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. He should be in this room to answer those questions for the people you talk about who are suffering. This guy has not only divided our party, he's divided families all over this country. I've spoken to people, and I know everyone else has, who have sat at Thanksgiving dinner or at a birthday party and can't have a conversation anymore if they disagree with Donald Trump. Anybody who's going to be spending the next year and a half of their life focusing on keeping themselves out of jail and courtrooms cannot leave this party or this country, right, and it needs to be said plainly. Whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. I'm in this race because the truth needs to be spoken. He is unfit. This is a guy who just said this past week that he wants to use the Department of Justice to go after his enemies when he gets in there. I mean, the fact of the matter is, he is unfit to be president, and there is no bigger issue in this race, Megan, than Donald Trump.
1: That was how he campaigned. As of tonight, he is out of the race. There really was no one else like Chris Christie in the Republican field this year. When he ended his campaign tonight, it also means the end of the one real anti-Trump dynamic that has been playing out live in competitive Republican politics. That has now come to an end. Does that mean the already pretty clear road to the finish line for Donald Trump is just that much clearer? Does it mean that a candidate like... Nikki Haley now has a chance to consolidate a non-Trump, if not an anti-Trump option that could conceivably legitimately compete for the top spot. What does this mean for the Biden campaign and for the general election now that the last Republican Trump antagonist is off the board? Joining us now is someone who is deeply important to Joe Biden as president and to the Joe Biden campaign. Veteran South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn is a co-chair of the Biden-Harris campaign. Congressman Clyburn, it's a real honor to have you with us tonight, sir. Thanks for taking the time to be with us this evening.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me.
1: What is your reaction to the decision by Governor Christie to leave the race and the way that he did it, the way that he the way that he left the stage?
3: Well, you know, I listened to Lawrence earlier. I had the same feelings watching that uh, press conference or whatever you may have called it. I watched every minute of it. And I found myself a bit remorseful uh, because I wanted to see him stay in this race. I wanted to see Republican voters expressing a choice between the truth and the consequences of a big lie. And his getting out takes that away because tonight I watched the first 40 minutes of the debate. And here we had two people running against each other, but both of whom refused to talk about the character of Joe Biden. And that to me is what's needed in the Republican primary someone willing to stand up to him and draw the contrast between his conduct and the character uh, of Americans that make us who and what we are as a nation. So, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm a bit remorseful about uh, Chris Christie getting out uh, of the race. I hope that those of us on the Democratic side will pick up the mantle, carry this campaign of Joe Biden's directly to the American people and do it in such a way uh, that we will uh, offer a clear choice to the American people of what it's like uh, to continue our pursuit of a more perfect union or whether we are going to allow ourselves uh, to lapse into a trek uh, toward an autocracy, because that's what um, the other side—where they're taking us, if we aren't careful.
8: Congressman Clyburn, it's Lawrence O'Donnell. Uh, when I'm thinking about four years ago tonight and things were not looking good uh, for Joe Biden in Iowa or in New Hampshire uh, after New Hampshire. It looked quite grim. Uh, then he came to your state. Uh, the party, Democratic Party, was divided several different possible candidates uh, on the way to that nomination. Uh, you pulled off the South Carolina victory for Joe Biden as much as anyone. And then I think to the surprise of many observers, the party unified quite quickly and unified fully. Bernie Sanders became a full supporter uh, of the Biden-Harris ticket. Uh, Do you feel how do you what has happened to that unity? What is your measure of that unity uh, as of this point uh, tonight? And where do you expect that unity to be in November? That
3: unity is still here. Uh, I, I talked uh, occasionally uh, to the other candidates who coalesced behind uh, Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders, uh, Red from uh, Jump Street, as we say, uh, down in Gullah Geechee country, uh, lined up with Joe Biden uh, before he even announced for re-election. And I think that we are still unified at that level. Where the problem is, is in the grassroots. Uh, We have not uh, done uh, the work that is necessary for the grassroots voters to coalesce around uh, this campaign. All the facts and figures are there uh, for us to be successful. But we have got to do a better job of communicating uh, to the grassroots voter exactly what Joe Biden has done. He has been a great president. He has delivered for the American people in such a way uh, that nobody uh, seems uh, to grasp. If you look at uh, the wealth gap that has existed between blacks and whites in this country, for the first time, we're closing that gap. If you look at student loan debt, uh, what he has done, 132 Billion dollars in debt forgiveness that nobody talks about. They only talk about that little portion uh, that um, uh, he was sued on and could not get done. If you look at health care, building on uh, Obamacare, they announced the Health and Human Services this morning that we have now got uh, 20 million people, more people with health insurance than ever in the history of the country. So these are the things that are fundamental to getting people's lives back on the track. COVID-19 was a big, big problem for all of us. And we finally got someone in the office who recognized that problem and got some sense of governance and know how to get us out of it rather than talking about putting bleach in your veins and uh, pretending that it, not, uh, it doesn't exist. So Joe Biden has been a good president. He's been, uh, he can be a greater president When we get uh, people to understand uh, all of what he has done, rather than to listen to all of the garbage, the disinformation that's going on out there, and look at the facts and stop listening uh, to all this tweeting uh, and stuff that's going on out there uh, that's not good for the American people.
1: Congressman Jim Clyburn, Democrat of South Carolina, co chair of the Biden Harris campaign, an invaluable asset. Um, and strategist for that campaign, sir, we really appreciate you being here with us tonight as part of this special
3: coverage. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much for having me. All
1: right, we've got Steve Cornacki joining us to talk about um, the impact of Chris Christie leaving the race, uh, the surprise moment where Chris Christie apparently did not know he was being recorded and was being recorded just before he dropped out of the race. Uh, we've got a lot more to get to on this busy night statement. It has been one of those nights, everything happening all at once. While we were still digesting what was going on with Chris Christie somewhat unexpectedly dropping out of the presidential race tonight and then watching the last Iowa Republican debate unfold in Des Moines, while that was happening... Republican frontrunner Donald Trump was holding a televised town hall, which was his first live, not pre-taped, not edited appearance on a news network in more than half a year. Now, our colleagues Lawrence O'Donnell and Ari Melber have been very, very bad boys. They got caught, they got convicted, and so they were sentenced to watch to watch that for
9: us. Wow! Wow! Lawrence, Lawrence, how did did it all go,
1: my friend? It
8: was it was not easy to watch, uh, but it was the tamest. Donald Trump Town Hall ever done in Hmm. front of cameras. Donald Trump began the Fox Town Hall tonight in Iowa by, once again, dealing with the question of just how much of a dictator would he be as president?
10: (laughs) This is just a political ploy. Trump is a dictator. He wants to be a dictator. You know, it's interesting. I did a show, Sean Hannity. Did you ever hear of him? He's a very nice man. (laughs) And he said, essentially... You're not going to be a dictator, are you? Tell me. I think he was trying to give me a nicer question than maybe you guys would. He meant it very well. I said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. We're going to do two things the border. We're going to make it so tight you can't get in unless you come in legally. And the other is energy. We're going to drill, baby, drill. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. So,
11: so you the weren't press, saying no, that. No, if the and courts... the press
10: picks it up. So I said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. They cut it. They go, I'm going to be a dictator. But they cut the rest of the sentence. No, no, I am not going to be a dictator. Okay, I'm glad we got that cleared up. Uh, (laughs) Now, (laughs) it doesn't get any better. Donald Trump
8: claimed that he's already decided who his vice presidential running mate will be. That was the
1: big news. Who would be in your in your cabinet, in your
4: administration, Mm -hmm. if you are the nominee, which I know you expect to be, who would be in the running for a vice president?
10: Well, I can't tell you that, really. I mean, I know who it's going to be.
8: Well, sorry. That's what you get when you invite Donald Trump. Oh, and every Trump supporter out there who thought their retribution bumper stickers were going to go all the way to November. You really should listen to this. It's 10 seconds that you need to know about retribution.
10: I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And and remember this, our ultimate retribution is success. Rachel, the one
8: other thing you'd really want to know, the only policy thing that actually came up, the only one. We have no idea what he wants the top tax rate to be because taxes no longer matter in Republican (laughs) campaigns. But there was one abortion question. Of course, it didn't come from the Fox players because they didn't ask any serious questions at all. It was a voter who said she wanted to make sure that Donald Trump was supporting her anti-abortion stance without compromise. Those were the two words she had at the end of the question. And he says that he has the Ronald Reagan position of the exceptions of life of the mother, rape and incest. And he ends his very compromised position in her eyes, uh, where he's playing around with, I got to find some formula. It's six weeks. They don't even know they're pregnant. You know, he's doing all of that stuff and then says, you got to win elections. That was his bottom line on oh, it. Wow. The interesting thing is he got a lot of applause for you got to win elections. In other words, he got a lot of applause for abortion compromise in the eyes of the absolutists in Iowa.
9: Hmm. Fascinating. And Rachel, you mentioned the the specter, the idea of bad boys here. (laughs) Sorry. Also, bad boy. (laughs) the theme music for the cops show. Yes. And I think what we saw, Lawrence is absolutely right, is... Donald Trump is good cop and bad cop mm-hmm. for these issues. He is vulnerable on these issues. Um, he does know that being convicted would be bad for his own life, potential liberty, but also the campaign. If you lose two points, well, he lost by seven million to Biden last time. He can't lose more in a rematch. And so to me, this was good cop tonight because he softened, sp- spun and sometimes lied about his actual autocratic agenda, which, as we mentioned earlier, means part of that's not popular. Even on Fox, but out on the campaign trail and in these courtrooms where he spent part of the week, he and his lawyers are bad cop and they're talking about murder and assassination. And it's not a joke and it's not rhetoric. And it's not, by the way, on January 6th, protected by the First Amendment if it's direct incitement. And so I I think it is interesting to see that his political antenna, his ability to lie in a self-interested way. That's, that's but still on deck. He knows how to strong. do that. Fox's
8: protection of him in this event was extraordinary because, you know, Brett Baer, in talking, uh, earlier, uh, on Fox, said he's gonna ask about all the defendant Trump stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Did, not do, that. oh, Did not do that. Did not do that. And briefly? And not, not a word about your lawyer says you can assassinate people. Not, that didn't happen no, and, in that
9: room. And briefly, not, just, just briefly, Brett Bayer, no disrespect, but he sounded. Oh, no, no, he earned disrespect
8: tonight. <laughs> okay, well, I'm Anyone saying who watched that, he earned disrespect, <laughs> as he did when he was trying to lie about election results the last time in the uh, when Fox was coming out with their election results in Arizona. Right. Uh, well,
9: I'm just saying, my observation is is not meant disrespectfully, but. He sounded not like a journalistic interview and more like a friendly lawyer or a defense lawyer because he said, Bedlam, but but you didn't really mean that. And, and violence but just help clear up what you're saying. So there was a yeah, it was very handy ask of when he tiptoed towards the things that are bad for Trump, he said, but you didn't mean it in the bad way. Right. And again, that goes to the fact that the Fox primary doesn't want to openly admit they're supporting an autocrat. Well, but I,
1: yeah, sorry, go
7: ahead. Oh, no, no, I was going to say, I think interesting tactics from my point of view is like Fox is not as much the powerful communications megaphone for Trump as it once was for the Republican Party. I mean, he can be calm and normie Trump on the Fox. This is just a counter-programming tactic yes, for him, yes, right? Right, yeah. His real his real messaging is done through Truth Social. It's done through all sorts of kind of deep, dark, crazy social media platforms. It's
1: done in the courtroom. And that's what he's betting on. He can be sort of normie in the Fox thing. And he knows that if he's going to do his first live event on Fox in a very long time, it's the first live TV network thing he's done since the disaster on CNN mm-hmm. last May, he knows that he can only do that if he does not tell lies about the election that will Have to be answered for in the moment by the entity that is hosting him there, which Fox is very acutely Mm. aware of in a financial sense. Mm -hmm. So he'll, he can be Normie Trump. He knows he has to be that. Mm -hmm. And if they don't push him to answer for the things that he He said in other venues, then he doesn't. And he can be crazy on Truth Social tomorrow morning or tonight. Either either one. We can count on it. (laughs) Yeah, we can bet. All right. um, Up next, what it might mean for the Republican presidential race for Christie to be dropping out, particularly given his support in New Hampshire, which other candidates might benefit how much they might benefit. Uh, we've been really looking forward to hearing from Steve Kornacki about this, and he's going to be here next, right after the break. Stay with us.
2: Anyone who is unwilling to say that he is unfit to be president of the United States is unfit themselves to be president of the United States.
1: Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, the chief Trump critic in the Republican primary field, dropping out of the race tonight. Before he dropped out tonight, there had been a lot of armchair speculation that if he dropped out, that might most benefit Nikki Haley. Haley does appear to be the most viable candidate against Trump right now, but Steve Kornacki knows these things. He's been looking at these numbers. We're going to be talking with him in just a moment. One last thing before we do that, though, I will note that just before Christie's prepared remarks where he dropped out, he was also caught on a hot mic, apparently commenting on Haley's chances of beating Trump and winning the nomination. He himself did not seem to think highly of those chances. Here is what he said.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, she spent 68 million so far just on TV. Spent sixty-eight million so far, fifty-nine million by DeSantis, and we spent twelve. You know, and she's going to get smoked, and you and I both know it. She's not up to this. She hasn't
4: even. Been
2: she's still twenty points behind Trump in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. And oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Steve Carnacki you have been looking at this scientifically speaking. Is Nikki Haley in fact going to get smoked?
12: Well, I think it depends what state you're talking about. And I think that gets to a key question when we look ahead to the bigger picture of the Republican uh, n- nomination battle here. It's in any given state, who makes up the electorate? What's the demographic mix in these Republican electorates? And, and just show you here our most recent poll. And this is a couple of weeks ago. We're going to have a final one this weekend with the Des Moines Register. But this is our most recent Iowa poll. Donald Trump way, way in front. That battle for second between DeSantis and Haley. And it's explained by dissecting the Iowa electorate. This is the group that's powering Donald Trump more than any other evangelical Christians in the 2016 caucuses in Iowa. They were almost two thirds of the electorate. Nearly two out of every three votes cast in those caucuses were by evangelical Christians. Trump lost them by double digits in 2016. He's now running up massive margins with them. You see Haley's barely in double digits. Where is Haley doing well in Iowa? Comparatively speaking, it's among independent voters. They make up about a fifth of the Republican electorate in Iowa. And there you still see Trump in our poll ahead, but Haley's uh, closest to him, over 20%. And we'll see in our poll this week, and there's indications elsewhere she's been gaining with independent voters. Maybe it'll be higher in our final poll. We'll take a look at that. But that's why Trump's so far ahead and Haley's so far behind in Iowa. Take a look at New Hampshire. We've had a bunch of new polls come out, average them together This is a very different picture. Mm -hmm. Trump is still in the lead, but Haley's only 11 points behind on average. You see Christie sitting there at 12 percent. A ton of Christie support has come in New Hampshire from independent voters. And that is also true with Nikki Haley in all three recent polls in New Hampshire. She has led among independent voters and independent voters in New Hampshire make up a, a very bigger portion of the electorate than in Iowa. And in any other state, just take a look at this. This is comparing the demographics of the Republican caucus electorate in Iowa. This is from 2016 with the New Hampshire Republican primary electorate. Look at this. In Iowa, we said it's nearly two thirds evangelical. In New Hampshire, it's a quarter. Evangelical, Independent voters, a fifth of the Iowa electorate, more than 40 percent in New Hampshire. And remember, in 2016, there were Democratic and Republican primaries in New Hampshire at the same time. Not much of a Democratic race this year. When it's been one party having a primary, the independents tend to be even bigger. So we could have something close to 50 percent independent vote in New Hampshire. Moderates, again, 14 percent in the Iowa Republican caucuses, double that in New Hampshire. This is a a demographic mix. that's tailor-made for a candidate like Nikki Haley, who's doing very well with independents, doing very well with college-educated Republicans, suburbanites. The problem for Nikki Haley is that when you get beyond Iowa and New Hampshire and all the other Republican primaries and caucuses out there, The demographic mix tends to look a lot more like Iowa and a lot less like New Hampshire. And that includes what could be the next big contest coming out of New Hampshire, South Carolina. A month later, the evangelical share in Nikki Haley's home state of South Carolina, 72 percent in 2016.
1: Steve Karnacki, thank you very much. I know we're going to be seeing you a little later on tonight. Much more of our special coverage of this debate night ahead. Stay with us. All right, you guys, here we go. Welcome back to our special coverage here on MSNBC. I'm Rachel Maddow. I'm here again with my beloved friend, Joy Reid. And we are now joined by our colleagues, Stephanie Rule and Chris Hayes and Alex Wagner. Very good to have you all here. It's five days out from the Republican presidential caucuses in Iowa. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have just wrapped up a two-hour debate in Des Moines, which started with them sprinting out of their corners and immediately punching each other in the proverbial face. (laughs) Meanwhile, the prohibitive frontrunner in the Republican race— once again, skipped the debate as he has all of them. Donald Trump was a couple of miles away from the debate stage doing a town hall on the Fox News channel, his first live, non-taped, non-editable appearance Mm. on Fox News in a dog's age, and actually his first live, non-edited appearance on any news network in more than half a year. All this unfolded tonight, just hours after former Governor Chris Christie announced that he's dropping out of the race, exiting the field with a blistering speech in New Hampshire tonight, a speech in which he lamented the fact that none of the other Republican candidates in the race are standing up to Donald Trump at all. All on just one night. Um, Chris Hayes, I know that you watched the end of the DeSantis Haley debate. Somebody okay. had to do it. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, was I drew question? that straw. All, all, all of the I got the email, short. like, okay, well, yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We'll trade it for pizza for your staff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. um I go? watched the second
13: part. Uh, it was the fifth, maybe even the final official Republican debate. There's
1: supposed to be one in New Hampshire in a week or so. If there's anyone left standing, I
13: don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Um, it lasted two hours, like you said, and as you also said, it, it was very weird because it mostly featured Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley going after each other in this very kind of snipey, at times sort of petty way, mostly on the records, governor of Florida and South Carolina, respectively, their trustworthiness. Nikki Haley had this repeated invocation of a new website called DeSantis Lies. I don't know if you guys got to that. Mm-hmm.
14: Um, I was but, blocked when I tried to get on DeSantis Well, a
13: lot of people were going right to DeSantis Lies. There was like Just a lot. Suspicious traffic
1: from your yes. computer. <laughs> I made
6: an official request. <laughs>
13: <laughs> yeah, it's not on the approved site yeah. list. Um, so there's a lot of DeSantis Lies stuff. And, and there were a couple, I will say, of actual like policy exchanges that were sort of interesting and illuminating. Like um, they went at each other on social security and raising the retirement age where they have different views and like had what you could legibly, call, like, a, a debate. You know, here's why I'm for it. Here's why I'm against it. A to Ukraine. Again, like, a debate. But again, like all of these, right, it's like, okay, well, this is sort of, it's like, you're all 50 points behind this other dude <laughs> who's just, what are we doing here? Again, like, they're all like this. They are so uncomfortable talking about him. They would sort of try to kind of like call him out for not being up at the podium. Yeah. But you could see the kind of like rigor mortis set in. There's just like incredible, like physical discomfort. And then there was this, you know, point where the moderators forced them to talk about Trump. And there was some news made when they finally did, I think. OK. Um, You have Nikki Haley acknowledging. And I don't know if if, she, if she's done this and she did it in the most backhanded way possible, talking about all the problems with the voting and people should be able to get their votes. But she acknowledged that Donald Trump lost the election and Joe Biden won. That's what counts as a headline. Take a listen.
4: I think ballots need to be counted on election day and you should get results on election day. But those that election, Trump lost it. Biden won that election. And the idea that he's gone and carried this out forever to the point that he's going to continue to say these things to scare the American people are wrong. We've seen a lot of states come together and do more election integrity bills. We need to do more than that. We still have three or four states that I'm worried about that don't have that. But at the end of the day, I will always defend and fight for the Constitution. That's what we should do as Americans. I think what happened on January 6th was a terrible day. And I think President Trump will have to answer for it.
13: Um, so there's that. And then after that, uh, one of the moderators, Eric Tapper, asked what I thought was a pretty smart and interesting question about yesterday's DC Circuit Court of Appeals arguments.
1: Oh, the immunity argument. Yeah. immunity
13: argument. Yeah. Basically being, look, uh, you know, um, you know, they, <laughs> they basically said you can go have Seal Scene 6 assassinate your potential rival and be immune unless, you know, you're uh, uh, impeached and convicted. You know, what do you think? Do you agree? Do you see the Constitution differently? That's what I had to say about that.
5: Donald Trump's going to lose that appeal. He's going to end up going to trial in front of a stacked left-wing D.C. jury of all Democrats, uh, what are the odds that he's going to get through that? And that's even talking about the, the 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 validity of the charges. I don't think he gets through that. And so what are we going to do as Republicans in terms of who we nominate for president? If Trump is the nominee, it's going to be about January 6th, legal issues, criminal trials. The Democrats and the media would love to run with that. Uh, I'm not running for my issues. I'm running for your issues
13: landing the sticking the landing with the characteristic and just natural authentic flair <laughs> that the candidate is known for. Um, I will say that that exchange was interesting. They both basically said that's a ludicrous argument that what it's what, a
1: bad it. legal argument and he won't win his case. So this it. is what the reason that I played that clip yeah. is that
13: there is an argument that I think that they could have been making that no one has made. And that's literally the first time I've made it, mm-hmm. which is just on purely descriptive grounds, not normative grounds about like who you think right and wrong. And you like Donald Trump. But like, is it the best thing for us? I'm just putting it out there, folks. (laughs) Should our nominee get convicted in federal court on a bunch of felonies in front of the entire nation, like maybe midway through the election year might not be the best. And he threw in the like racist thing about the D.C. court, you know, D.C. jury pool. That's gross. But it is at least an argument legible to other Republicans that on purely practical grounds, it might not be the best idea to nominate this guy who's about to get maybe convicted.
1: But like, how can—and this is to credit to my friend Joy here, from the very top of this discussion. When we're talking about the president making an argument, the former president making an argument in court, that he should be allowed yeah. to assass- use the U.S. military to assassinate his political rivals— Unless the series of arcane procedures are yeah. used thereafter to rein him in. If those don't happen, he should be able to get away with that. How can you avoid normatively saying, and that would be bad? And, that yeah. would be well, bad. and we don't Just want somebody so killing his they, political they, rivals. They,
13: they, they, they said that, yes, they said it, but they said it in this way. That, you know, I was trying to think of, like, what's the right... Metaphor for this. When, like, when you're a kid and you're watching a movie with family and, like, a sex scene comes on, that, like, physical awkwardness. That's (laughs) how, that's literally, that physical awkwardness is how they get when Trump comes up. It's Uh like, it's all of a sudden, it's like, it gets so tight. Everything gets tight. Everything is like, so yes, did they sort of check the box of like, that's a ludicrous argument? Yes, they both said that. But know what? You could just see them like looking for all, how they get out of the situation. All
15: DeSantis said was, I would be a, ser- the president should be a servant of the people, not a ruler of the yeah. people. That was it, right? That's his wink, wink. Trump wants to be a ruler. And yeah. you're like, come on. And then- are you in this fight or not? Yeah. The only one who clearly has shown that he- they were in a fight tonight was Chris Christie, yep. and he was there to bow out. Mm-hmm. Chris Christie, who spent $12 million and likely improved his legacy, Joy and I were just talking about that, when he said, right, he Trump is unfit to be president, and if you are not willing to say that, you are too. He had more impact than the tens of millions of dollars that Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley will have spent. Yep. They're going to end up
6: just being unforgettable.
15: Unforgettable? Forgettable. Well, I and mean, forgettable. Forgettable. I mean, it,
6: it, it struck me just... And what you're saying, I think is true. I think the problem Chris Christie had is that he never got to actually say those things with Trump on the stage, Mm -hmm. right? I I just sometimes think there's like another sort of metaverse where Chris Christie runs the exact same campaign and speaks really blunt truth that I actually I'm with Lawrence. I I gained a bit of respect for him in the way that he spoke truth to Republicans in their own terms about Donald Trump caring only about himself, not about them and about the fact that he is unfit and saying that I'm saying this as somebody that knows him and supported him and supported him for my own ambition. Right. And I'm telling you he's unfit. Had he been able to challenge Trump mano a mano on a stage, I wonder what that would have done differently for him as it is now. I do think he improved his legacy. And I agree with you. The only person who spoke today who mattered, who did anything that was important, I Mm -hmm. think. Was Chris Christie? Then where Nothing does he go Nothing that from happened here? in that debate. Do we hear? Was
15: do we hear from him again? He's going to go
1: make again. a lot of money doing something. I mean, he'll be doing what Liz Cheney is doing, maybe, <laughs> yeah, and what other are book. doing. Or write a <laughs> book. He's now an ex-Republican who's a Never Trumper, yes. and there's there's there's
15: a cadre of them. But do they, have they an impact? could impact. Republican voters, where he Joe could. Biden's never I, going to impact or independents
13: yes, or, or, for or Amanda Carper made this point on my program tonight, which I thought was well taken about the diff, about his role, about Christie's role, which is one of the things that Trump does very effectively in the sort of old union song "Which side are you on?" is that he forces a he forces the issue. You are either pro Trump or anti Trump, right? So you can't be kind of in this liminal space of I'm a Republican and anti Trump. Like he forces you're now anti, you're now a never Trumper, right. right? Christie is. Freshly off this, and has a space to try to make an argument to a certain set of voters, for whom, for instance, Liz Cheney has already been like fully converted into never Trumper. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess. like,
1: yeah. I think it's a tight, it's, it's a tight Liz window. Liz Cheney is being less Republican than, than, than Chris Christie. She's mean, not, where is but on this. But on where's this Christie going to do at?
15: it? Who's paying him to do that? Right. When you think about Chris well, Christie for the next nine months, the only way Chris <laughs> Christie matters is if he goes to New Hampshire and says, "Everybody
14: that thought about supporting me." Think about supporting Joe Biden. I mean, really, honestly, it's not even about the Republican Party anymore. It's about making sure that New Hampshire voters who can choose to vote R or D vote D, you know, And, and both as a sort of as a gesture in this early primary process, but also in the general. I mean, Joe Biden could win New Hampshire. He it is incumbent upon these Republicans not to try and out Trump, but to try and throw their weight behind Biden. That's yeah.
1: that's that's where they can in terms of, of what the, the stakes were tonight with Haley and DeSantis debating. I felt like just stylistically that Ron DeSantis has become a better debater. He's gone from sort of first gear to f- grinding towards second gear. Nikki Haley, I think, has stayed exactly the way she was. Yes. So I think it was actually slightly better matched in terms yes. of them as candidates. But what they are fighting for is <laughs> the question of whether or not there's going to continue to be both of them in the race. I mean, if Ron DeSantis gets beaten by Nikki Haley in Iowa... He is not competitive in New Hampshire. He is not competitive in a single other state in no. the country. It's only Iowa for him. And it looks like Nikki Haley it's may beat be him over. in Iowa, and, the and way, then it will be over. And, and so did he do enough tonight to salvage his and chances way, of coming
6: in second and thereby staying in the race to lose another day? And we just heard Steve Kornacki say that South Carolina is even more evangelical than Iowa. Mm-hmm. If Nikki Haley can't defeat Trump in South Carolina, well, I right? I mean, I, I feel like what we're all sort of describing tonight— is defeat. It is sort of the, the the complete capitulation of the Republican Party to Trump, and Chris Christie's sort of lonely voice of saying, "We we sh- we don't have to do this." Mm-hmm. It sort of sounds kind of. S- Sad and desperate when you think about it. The Republican party has completely capitulated. The Mitt Romney's have left the building. They've just given up and gone home. The, the Mitch McConnell's don't care enough about the country to stop him or to even try. And Chris Christie is sort of now the, in that rowboat with, uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger sort of saying, we don't have to be this. Mm. But the vast majority of the Republican base has said, we do want to be this. This is what we want to be a
15: very effective communicator. Yes, he is. He will be able to look at people and say, give me a break. Joe Biden is not pushing some far left wing policies. He's just not. Right. Right? When when, when both candidates were asked tonight about the economy, about high prices, because that is what Republicans love to talk about. Life is so expensive, yet neither one offered any policy solution. Nikki Haley brought up, well, you know what? The gas tax. We're going to get rid of the gas tax. And when Dana Bash said to her, great. Well, the $40 billion that that brings into our federal government to fix our roads, what do we do there? And neither of them acknowledge, right? There's two things that voters always talk about when it comes to the economy. You know, grocery prices and gas prices. Gas prices in this country, are sub $3 a gallon. In Iowa, they're $2.77. Why? Because Joe Biden, while he is president, we're pumping more oil than any president ever. And in the next two years, it will be even more. So watching those two Republicans up there with nothing to say about the economy, yet when they have no opponents, when they're just throwing out an ad or saying to people, man, isn't life so expensive? And the American people go, yeah, it is. They have no policy solutions. In terms of what's going to
1: happen with the political dynamics at work here, what do you think? I mean, Alex, you're talking about the idea of Christie telling Republicans you have permission to vote for Joe yeah, Biden, please, or please go do it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if you
14: actually care, he first of all, he's caught on a mic saying Nikki Haley's going to get smoked, and she's not up to it. Like. Right. He, How's he? He can't endorse her. Right. So there's no one. He left. also
13: said if you, you can't acknowledge that he's unfit, then you're unfit. Right. You can't turn around.
14: Yeah, right. yeah. If you, you yeah. raise your hand and said, I'll pardon Trump. You're, it's a wrap for right. you. Right. So then the question is, like, do we end up, as you posit, Rachel, with a field where it's Nikki Haley effectively versus Donald Trump? What does that mean for Nikki Haley's candidacy? I mean, right. she she said effectively about the SEAL Team Six thing. That's just not common sense.
12: Yeah, I, I mean, actually, know an accountable right, of the attacks wouldn't do that.
14: Right,
1: well, it, you use SEAL Team One; they're not, cheaper. On it's not, twice, I don't know if there is a SEAL Team. It's not my one. top hundred answer,
14: but it is also true. It is actually common sense yeah. to assassinate your rival, take him out; it's exactly. the easiest path. Um, but, but you know, one doesn't hold out a whole, let a lot of hope that she's going to be a big check on Donald Trump, as Good. if if if, if it's the two of them, effectively. Yes.
13: No, sorry. Go ahead.
14: Um, but, you know, I so I think, you know, what has to happen is some version of if you believe that we are in, you know, a four alarm fire for democracy, the Republicans who have said what if they are if Chris Christie is true to the, the words of the banner underneath which he marched today, then he does need to do something yeah. dramatic because we're at the stage of the game now where you know, the two leading anti-Trump or whatever they are, Trump alternatives could not muster up the courage to say, that Donald Trump has shredded his oath to the Constitution. Yeah. And, and that it would be somehow a distraction if the country was focused on the essential questions of democracy in the run up to the election. That, oh, we, you know, that this left-wing jury, it's not going to be a fair trial for Donald Trump and all the Democrats want is to talk about January 6th and the Constitution. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the essential work of the presidency is, is carrying out duties as outlined in the Constitution. And yet that's a distraction to this Republican crop
6: of well, candidates. You know what? I think that something you said earlier, Rachel, is relevant here, is that all of this happens as Fox News is considered, is continuing to simply be the leavening to make Trump seem acceptable and normal.
1: They need him back on their air. They They need him back on their their air for a very long time.
6: Right. So while these two losers are fighting each other, you know, for third or second place on Fox, Donald Trump is savvy enough to pretend to be normal. And as long as Lachlan Murdoch says Trump is normal, then regular ordinary Joe Schlobotnik Republicans out there in Sheboygan are going to say, he doesn't seem scary to me. Mm -hmm. You all are hysterical. He's just joking. He's just funny when he says he's a dictator. Ha ha. It's not a big deal. They actually either actively want the autocracy he's selling or they don't believe they certainly don't believe us when we say that it's autocracy that he's trying to sell. And so as long as the Murdoch's continue to like leaven him into this normal, absolutely typical Republican and there's nothing wrong with it. And there's no one out there screaming the opposite. Right. If Chris Christie's not willing to do that, I don't know where he would do it. He's effective at doing it. Maybe there's a Republicans for Biden that gets him, but I don't even know that he'll do that. Maybe this is all he's going to do is say his truth and go on. Yeah. And if and if Paul Ryan is one of the (laughs)
1: <laughs> is one God. of the crowd here, right, is one of this crowd that we're talking about yeah. of anti-Trump Republicans that has to decide what they're going to do. Well, one of the things Paul Ryan's going to have to do is decide what he's going to do with his board position yeah. at Fox. That's right. All right. Much more of our special coverage ahead. In just a minute, we're going to go to NBC's Ali Vitale in Iowa. We're going to be joined again by Steve Carnacki We've got a lot still to get to. Stay with us. Stay with us.
4: The best way to tell about a candidate is to see how they've run their campaign. He has blown through 150 million dollars. I don't even know how you do that. Through his campaign, he has nothing to show for it. He spent more money on private planes than he has on commercials trying to get Iowans to vote for him. If you can't manage a campaign, how are you going to manage a country?
5: Donald Trump should be on this stage. Every candidate needs to earn your vote. Nobody's entitled to your vote. And he comes in here every now and then. He does his spiel, and then he leaves. I've shown up to all 99 counties because it's important. You're a servant of the people. You are not a ruler over the people. And that's the type of president that I will be for. You.
1: What happens on stage is the first phase of a political debate. The second phase begins when the campaigns start trying to convince the world that their candidate so obviously won. The best place to see that gymnastic exercise is in the spin room. Uh, Joining us now from the spin room of tonight's Republican debate in Iowa is NBC News correspondent Ali Vitale. Ali, um, tell us about the atmosphere there and how the respective campaigns think that things went.
16: Lots of somersaults and handsprings, Rachel, to carry the gymnastics metaphor in here, because, yes, the DeSantis campaign says that he won. The Haley campaign says that she won. And so it goes. I mean, we knew the stakes for each of these campaigns, and they came in with distinct strategies. For DeSantis, it was to make clear that he was trying to blunt Haley's rise in a place like Iowa, but especially ahead of New Hampshire, where especially after Chris Christie dropped out today, it's widely assumed that Haley is the beneficiary of that lack of one more candidate in this race, but DeSantis also did a better job of punching up at the front runner. Now, to be clear, both of these candidates spent more time as if each one was their path as if beating each other was the path to the presidency for them. It completely ignores the fact that Trump is the actual front runner and is not on that stage. But for DeSantis, he was more willing to go directly at the former president. I do think that's notable when you consider his strategy here in the Hawkeye State. Frankly, this is must win for him. He went all in on resources, all in on ground game. All of that is true. But for Nikki Haley, her goal here is to continue punching at Ron DeSantis in hopes that she continue to help his pretty sagging, campaign continue to flail in the Hawkeye State. Her goal is to get a strong second here that they can use into a springboard in New Hampshire. I do think the striking thing for me, though especially starting debate night with the news of Chris Christie dropping out, you effectively watched the former New Jersey governor implore his fellow candidates in this Republican race to please show that they are willing to take on the front runner and that they're almost willing to acknowledge the reality that they have to go through Trump if they think they're going anywhere near the Oval Office. And despite the fact that Christie left that door wide open for DeSantis and Haley, you really didn't see any of them change the posture of their willingness to go after the Former president and the form and fashion with which they did it. Sure, Haley's hitting him on tone and chaos. DeSantis is hitting him on electability and some of his failures as DeSantis sees them during COVID, but nothing really changed that much. And I think that as we head into this final stretch in Iowa, so much of this debate, despite the fact that there were less people on the stage, guys, was mired in buzzwords and sort of truncated attack ads that Mm. there were moments where I myself found my eyes sort of glazing over. I wondered what it would be like to be the average viewer and the average voter who didn't watch every attack ad and twist and turn of this campaign and just sort of wondered, did anyone get anything out of this more than just the camps that they came in thinking that they had an alignment with? But I think that might be what debate stages are these days. I mean, you think the candidates get less, the less candidates on the stage might mean a more substantive conversation. I don't know. I don't know that we saw that tonight.
1: One of the things that um, Governor DeSantis referenced several times, Ali, was his, his ground game and the fact that he's been to all 99 counties yeah. um, in Iowa. Clearly, he's all in on Iowa. He's effectively, you know, moved his campaign headquarters there. He's pretty much moved himself there. He's not, in the polling, at least competitive in any other state, um, which is something that Nikki Haley right. actually is. She's competitive in New Hampshire, and then she'll be going to her home state of South Carolina. Is it—I mean, I don't mean to be to be rude about this, but it does 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 it seem clear in Iowa that if Nikki Haley beats Ron DeSantis in Iowa, that if she comes in second there instead of instead of him, that Ron DeSantis' campaign will end and won't even make it to New Hampshire?
16: I can give you a yes or no answer that the candidates never will give us, which is yes, your analysis is exactly right. And when I talk to most of my sources, it's why Iowa is so do or die. I think the way DeSantis attacked the state of Iowa is the way that conventionally candidates should find some success here, which is making their way to all 99 counties, completing that so-called full Grassley, getting people on the ground, having them knock doors, getting them to commit to caucus. All of that is important. But what Trump continues to show is that. That by bucking the traditional he can still find success i think it's a reminder that the national trends seem to set the tone here more in this primary state than the traditional way of campaigning here and i do think that it forces a lot of us on the strategist side on the coverage side to rethink the way that you have to be successful in iowa especially given the fact that trump has barely been here mm-hmm. DeSantis has as you mentioned completely planted his flag in the state and tried to make it his own he's gotten all of the right so-called endorsements that you should need a popular governor here in the state of Iowa and Kim Reynolds uh, one of the leading evangelical voices here in Bob Vander Plaats. all of that should be amounting to a stronger second place frankly it should be amounting to a challenge to first place and yet that's not what we're seeing on the ground here so for Nikki Haley just blunting DeSantis is enough she was never saying she would win here in Iowa DeSantis really made that his calling card Haley can still use this as an opportunity to go into New Hampshire stronger and certainly her campaign is feeling more more optimistic in my conversations with them, despite that hot mic moment where Christy sort of eviscerated her, they still feel like his getting out of the race freed up a couple of key points that they can now turn to their cause in New Hampshire. And look, she's one of the only people who's been able to put in several polls in place where she's at least close to striking distance with Trump. DeSantis doesn't have that ability to say that even in Iowa where he's put so much into it.
1: Yeah. And it's the it's the the perceived effort and that likely outcome. Yeah. It's the combination of those two things um, that could potentially be so so deadly for him there. Uh, NBC's Ali Vitale in Des Moines tonight for us uh, in the spin room. Ali, really, really appreciate that. Um, thanks for being with us. Um, Chris, go ahead. I,
13: I just I wanted to uh, sort of Say something in relation to what Ali made that very interesting point about the ninety nine, the full Grassley. It's called Chuck Grassley. Famousl,y goes to all the counties, and if you follow Chuck Grassley on social media, it's very interesting because he is a conservative Republican. He, you know, he's all about Hunter Biden's business, but he also is like a weird throwback politician. And it'll be like, here I am meeting with the head of the Chamber of Commerce. Here I am meeting with the local addiction treatment center. Like, just the very classic retail politics. You're my constituent. I'm your, I'm your representative. You got an issue. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen happen to politics, particularly in the Trump era, is sort of all politics is national inversion of the old Tip O'Neill uh, cliche that all politics is local. That increasingly, whether it's the media ecosystem, the nature of polarization, that like that basic kind of like ground up politics of like you have some connection with local areas, you put in the sweat equity and the time and you shake all the hands and you go to the bingo halls and you go to the churches, and you do all that means less and less. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see that really on the ground in Iowa where – Trump doesn't. I mean, are you kidding? He's not like pressing the flesh at this stuff. He's right. like he
1: flies in and out. But there'll be a test I mean, of it next week with the caucuses, because we'll see Trump, who really is not campaigning in Iowa. Well, that's my that's my I point. Mean, that's I thing, mean, yeah. that we will. I mean, it seems like Trump is running away with it. And we'll see. But, you know, you don't know until people actually show up in minus 10 degree weather yeah. next Monday night to to see, to see how they're going to cast their votes.
14: I think also the full Grassley is more effectively accomplished if you are not a, a robot that is yeah, programmed
1: right. yeah, to program, campaign.
14: Yes. I mean. Ron DeSantis is singularly awful at yeah. human interaction. And so
1: perhaps I singularly I
15: mean, right. okay. I mean, I'm also, pretty I'm bad at <laughs> <laughs> it, really But I would never run, run for a
14: thing. Ronda, I, I <laughs> reject that whole word. <laughs> of Rachel problem. finding
13: Rhonda Sanders I mean, relatable yeah, is uh, right. at a level of awkwardness is like one of my favorite <laughs> ongoing that's that's
14: bits. He's awkwardly licking my face all the time just to try to warm up the way well, that he is. <laughs> you go to 99
15: counties in Iowa, I guarantee you'll do better in the yeah, Iowa Republican caucus than Rhonda Sanders. The problem with retail politics and going to see people... <laughs> Shake their hand is. They tell you what their issue is, and you respond to them with a policy that you like to put forth to solve it. Now Donald Trump connected with all those people because he said, "Your grievance in the world, you feel like you're forgotten. I'm going to solve that for you." And for four years, the only thing he solved was a massive tax cut for corporate America. So the issue with doing retail politics, they're not offering any policy solutions. What's the solution? We're going to get Hunter. We're going (laughs) to impeach Joe Biden. Come on now, we're going to shut down. The government intent and we want hope to talk stock market tanks in the next 12 months. Who does
6: yeah, that help? And, and
15: to, to maybe wax
14: just a little bit poetic about Donald Trump, which is not something I'm prone to doing, like, he, he does strike an emotional chord with what so he's right? Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, he's really... He's, he's single a strongman
1: rule. I will get yeah. rid of this media that annoys you. I will get rid of yes, your enemies. It, I will get rid of everything in politics, and I will rule as a strongman. It, it is it's visceral. a comforting idea. Yes. That's what well, anger is cathartic. He taps into a
15: rage that is very, um, you know, satisfying
14: to some people,
15: In right? your first term, but then you... you... You have to deliver policies, which is potentially why he lost
6: his second. Well, the bottom line, though, is I don't think that Republicans care about policy because what was the issue that came up more, I think, than any other issue in this debate tonight? The border, which is nowhere near Iowa. People in Iowa are not well, facing a border crisis. But the, but are, they're so obsessed with the idea. Well, of there the are there's folks a lot of migrant the labor
14: and meatpacking plants, for example, in Iowa, which they're, they need. Just, have yeah, their. I'm not. Look, I'm not. I'm not maligning meatpacking I mean, workers not, in Iowa. Right. But but where you see the immigration rhetoric get mo- most virulent, most poisonous, is in largely homogeneous areas that are seeing a big right. contemporary influx of of migrant labor, migrant worker, migrant faces, and that's why. Steve King
1: had the resonance that he did. Although the way they were talking about it tonight, to your point, Joy, was they were like, what are we going to do to help Texas? Right. or like, Texas. There's, right. Poor there's nothing, Texas there's person. no I border. Texas is okay. Yeah. But, um, yes, all right, we have somebody standing by to speak oh. to us. <laughs> uh, joining us from the side of tonight's Republican debate is and Steele. She's chief politics reporter for the Des Moines Register. She's very overworked, uh, and she's uh, given us some of her time tonight. Ms. Steele, thank you so much for, for being on the show with us tonight. We really appreciate your time.
11: Happy to be here. So... Um,
1: In terms of Iowa voters who have watched this campaign unfold, who have had the chance maybe to meet some of these candidates, who are thinking about caucusing, despite the fact that it's going to be really cold on Monday, um, will people have learned anything new uh, from tonight's debate, or was this essentially a continuation of the kinds of things they've already been been seeing? Was this a a departure or a a continuation?
11: Well, I think it's both to a degree. You know, if you talk to Iowa Republicans, they're still making up their minds. They're trying to decide right now and you know, a lot of Iowa Republicans like the rest of Americans, you know, they they took a break from news consumption. They went home and they enjoyed the holidays. They're coming back in and they're just now starting to really engage and decide how they're going to caucus on caucus night. So if you're just tuning into the debate in a real it's, to the campaign in a really meaningful way, this debate could have been really helpful because it it was substantive. There was a lot less of kind of the crosstalk that's really dominated some of the past ones with much fuller debate stages. We got to some more issues. We got to hear Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley really talk to each other about some of those issues that do matter to Iowa Republicans. So in that sense if you're just tuning in now if you're just now uh, you know kind of trying to decide how you're going to be caucusing this is meaningful and I I was texting with Republicans here in Iowa throughout the debate to see kind of how they were perceiving it and I found kind of really two different trends. The people who said it was substantive, it was meaningful, and then the others who said this is more of the same. If you were undecided before, this doesn't necessarily move you. There, There's nothing, there was no big moment tonight that really shifted people maybe from DeSantis toward Haley or vice versa. Hmm. And so in a race that has really been marked by this two-person fight for second place, I don't know how much the impact this is going to have.
1: Brianna, one of the other stories that we've been following tonight, which was um, I think a surprise, but not a shock, was the uh, announcement by Chris Christie that he was leaving the race. And I know he wasn't polling at significant numbers in Iowa, but it's big news that he's dropped out. And He dropped out with a splash, giving an impassioned speech, calling on his fellow Republicans to break more divisively with Donald Trump. Um, Do you think, from the Republican Iowa voters who you're talking with tonight, um, do you think that Christie leaving or any of the things that he's saying on his way off the stage are going to have any sort of impact in your state?
11: Well, we looked at our past polling, we, we, the Des Moines Register NBC News Iowa poll that came out in December, and we asked our pollster to uh, realign where the candidates uh, would be, what the results would be with Chris Christie out of the race, because we asked people who their second choice for president is. And so when you realign those votes to the second choice uh, candidate, it really doesn't change the overall shape of the race here in Iowa. Nikki Haley gains a point, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump stay the same. So really, it doesn't do much in terms of Iowa caucuses. Uh, Again, Chris Christie hasn't set foot in Iowa throughout the course of his campaign. What this really does is change the state of the race in New Hampshire, and I do think Iowa Republicans will be looking to New Hampshire to see which candidate has a path forward. They want to pick someone who has a chance at actually winning the nomination.
1: Brianne Fon and Steele, uh, chief politics reporter for the Des Moines Register. As I said, overworked right now, overtaxed, and a national resource who we all need. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us tonight, and good luck over these next five days. Thank you. All right, Steve Karnacki back with us at the Big Board when we come back. Stay with us.
5: So let's just put this in perspective. Uh, under her administration, you would have seniors getting a less cost of living adjustments while your tax dollars are going to pay the pensions of Ukrainian bureaucrats. That's not true. You talk about That's putting Americans lie, last. Ron. That is wrong. You've supported all that money going over there.
1: That's such a lie, Ron. That is such a. Yes, the Republican race in Iowa seems to be a little bit set or at least it's hard to imagine how it's going to change over the next five days. You never know. Iowa and Iowa voters have surprised us before. Don't believe me. That's why we have NBC's Steve Kornacki who knows these things. Steve, tell us how we are going to be surprised by Iowa, or at least (laughs) how we were surprised in the past.
12: Well, we can find, we took a look back at the sort of modern history of Republican caucuses in Iowa and tried to come up with the three biggest caucus night surprises. And you could judge these and compare them to what might constitute a surprise on Monday and and see whether any of these are relevant. But here they are, what we came up with. The first, you go back to 1988. Now there's Bob Dole, Senator Bob Dole at the time. He was the winner of the 1988 Republican caucuses in Iowa. His famous message to Iowans, a fellow Midwesterner, he said, I'm one of you. And in fact, the margin that Dole won in 1988 by is the largest in modern caucus history. So why was this a surprise? It's because the second place candidate in Iowa was supposed to be the sitting vice president of the United States, George Bush Sr. And instead, as the votes and the returns came in on caucus night, it was somebody else. It was the drama is fading as I <laughs> fail to get this. It Scr- was. I can't believe it. Oh, come <laughs> on. Let's try this. Scr- Let's try this one more time here. It was.
1: Oh, oh man. Oh, hey. well, there it was. Hey. <laughs>
12: It was the televangelist named Pat Robertson. Oh my God. In the 1988 Iowa caucuses, Pat Robertson beat the sitting vice president, got second place. This was a shockingly high number for Robertson. No one had expected it. No one had predicted it. And what this represented was the Christian right had started sort of becoming a political force in the late 70s, growing in the 80s. Robertson believed he could corral it into a presidential campaign. He brought all, all sorts of voters who had never participated in the caucuses before. This marked the arrival of evangelical Christians is a force in the Iowa caucuses, and we talked about this earlier, a force that's only grown. Two-thirds of the Iowa electorate in 2016 in the Republican caucuses was evangelical. This was the origin story, Pat Robertson in 1988. Another big surprise was 1980. Ronald Reagan, of course, it was the big year for Reagan. He became the president of the United States. Here's one that's a little, you could see a parallel to now, and you could decide if it applies There was a final debate right before the caucuses in 1980 in Iowa. Ronald Reagan was the big frontrunner nationally. He was the frontrunner in Iowa, and he skipped the debate. Mm. And the subject of him skipping the debate came up during the debate, and all of the candidates bemoaned that Ronald Reagan was taking Iowa voters for granted. And lo and behold, in the caucuses, Reagan lost. And this was a major upset. George H.W. Bush, at the time, he was the former U.N. ambassador, if you want to see any other parallels to current politics. George H.W. Bush edged out Ronald Reagan. Bush said he had the big mo, meaning momentum, coming out of Iowa, Uh, went into New Hampshire, ended up losing to Reagan there, but it became a, a fight for a few months. Probably the only reason Bush ever became vice president was his upset win over Reagan in 1980 that made him the main alternative to Ronald Reagan. And then in 2012, There's Rick Santorum. Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucuses, although it's an interesting story because it took him a few weeks. It took the Republican Party of Iowa a few weeks to actually say that Santorum had won. The difference between Romney and Santorum was that small. But this was a major surprise because Santorum had been polling in single digits until about a week before caucus day. And he surged, really, in the final five or six days of the caucuses and just pulled out a surprise victory. Now, the interesting thing here is Romney, of course, had been favored to win Iowa. We had seen all year before the caucuses, different candidates, Rick Perry for a while, Newt Gingrich. There was Herman Cain, who had sort of risen up briefly, taken the lead in polling, only to fall back. So we had seen before this, there was an appetite among Republicans for a Romney alternative and it just happened to be, it seemed, Rick Santorum's turn to try on that role right as the caucuses arrived. So he he rose up, he won the caucuses, didn't do much in New Hampshire. Then Gingrich had a moment and Santorum had another moment late in the primaries, but no one was ever really able to put it together and, and obviously knock off Romney. But there is a candidate who was in single digits two weeks, one week before caucus day who did end up winning. There is the That's probably the biggest late surprise we've seen. the caucuses.
1: Briefly, Steve, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be going to commercial, but I have to ask. 2020, the Democrats totally screwed up the Iowa caucuses structurally like they just didn't work. 2012, with those guys that you've got up there on that screen right now, I remember that it was Romney's the winner. Right. No, Rick Santorum's the winner. No, Ron Paul's going to get all the delegates. It was such a mess. There might be a close race between Nick Haley, Nikki Haley and and Ron DeSantis in Iowa. Do you have faith that Iowa Republicans know how to run their caucuses this year?
12: Well, that's, I mean, that's an important point to make when you're talking about caucuses. Obviously, Iowa is the biggest one, but there are other states that do this and keep in mind. These are run by state political parties. They set the rules. They conduct them. uh, They tabulate the results. These are not run uh, by, you know, secretaries of state and official state agencies. So, you know, yes, they've made changes. The Iowa Republican Party has expressed confidence that they'll be able to tabulate these results, get an accurate, fair and full countout. But you really, as you say, you won't know until Monday night. And we'll, we'll see. And maybe as in the case in 2012, it was about 10 days later, I think, that they came out and said, actually, Santorum's the winner.
1: Exactly. We have to all stay
13: right. on air the whole time.
1: Oh, yeah. It's all right. Yeah. They, they give us, like, these fancy okay. di- diaper things. <laughs> and much more of our special coverage, just like the astronaut. Five days out from the Iowa caucuses. Did you guys not know this about us? How do you think we stay on the air all this time? Not magic. Science. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Bless his heart. DeSantisLies.com. We have never raised a tax. I've never raised a tax at all. I can tell you right, Governor DeSantis, she has the floor.
1: Bless his heart. Big smile. No, you with the big smile. Bless his heart. And bless Nikki Haley's sales pitch for her new website tonight. Boy, was she thorough about that.
4: You can go to DeSantisLies.com. Go to DeSantisLies.com and you can find out for yourself. First of all, bless his heart, com. Go to DeSantisLies.com. I said you can't just build a wall. DeSantisLies.com. No, go to DeSantisLies.com. DeSantisLies.com. Yeah. DeSantis and com. the Enterprise Florida, there. we actually eliminated.
12: There.
1: It's it could be a pitch to be president. It could also just be that we're reading the comment section on yeah, a right. QVC <laughs> YouTube yeah. clip. Yeah. But bless everybody's heart on the tape team tonight for finding all the times Nikki Haley said "Desantis Oh, we watched eleven, <laughs> she said it 11 times. Way more than that. Yes. We think it eleven times at least. We may have missed one. Chris Christie has dropped out of the race. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have proverbially punched each other in the face for two mystifying straight hours in the final Iowa debate. Donald Trump has been brought back onto Fox News Live for the first time in months and months and months. You guys, it's on. Um, It's happening. And our MSNBC special coverage continues. Stay with us tonight.